This hour is brought to you by Menards. Save big money at Menards. The Bernstein and Holmes Show. Middays 10 a.m. till 2 on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes. 50-50 ball, Thaddeus Young, and he had the ball poked away from behind by Williams. Dial to Drummond with a right-handed slam. Andre Drummond eating some Canadian rim here along with a little side of bacon. I don't know, but I've been told. Mike, I mean, play it again. Winnington's sitting right next to you. <laughs> don't shake your head at me. Play it again. Dial to Drummond with a right-handed slam. Andre Drummond eating some Canadian rim here along with a little side of bacon. Play the, play the Daniel Tice one. It's there. It's there. We're already dirty. <laughs> now we've got to go to Beantown. <laughs> Take us to Beantown, Don't Mike. Don't you look at Mike me like Rankin. that, Mike Rankin. You drive us to Beantown right now. <laughs> and a two-handed dump. Daniel Tice eating a rim in Beantown with a little chowder to go. Oh, my. <laughs> Welcome to the person. I'm, I'm, I'm toast. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good. On Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. What's going on? I guess if you want to lean in, you lean in, right? Yes, I thought that it, it made for a very joyous start of our show. Our buddy Gustavo, I don't know if you saw it, Dan. What did he do? Captured the the still from the stream on Twitch where Layla's just got her face in her hands and I'm laughing and you're laughing. It's a great, like from that point in the show, it was such a great moment. I'm glad that it got captured. I'll retweet it at some point. But shout out to everyone on Twitch, by the way. Twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. We appreciate you. <laughs> Man, I, I don't know about uh, what was happening with any rim or descriptions therein, but I know that it's one thing for the Toronto loss to be a statement of the what the Bulls are, but that fourth quarter... Oh. That fourth quarter last night, if you really want to confront what you are and what you're not as a basketball team, and you want it laid out for you, everything that's going on here, and, and again, you get Billy Donovan, who is really the, the best Bulls analyst. spectator. He's a great analyst. He, he sees what's happening. He knows what's happening. And I guarantee you, he turns to Chris Fleming and he goes, well, we're doing it again. But, you know, you're the coach. Tell them to stop. Tell them to stop doing it. And and this is something that you, you I'm not the biggest Zach fan, but guess who had it going last night? Zach. Guess who should have had more shot opportunities last night? Zach. He should have been touching the ball a lot more frequently than what he was doing. And because of it, you ended up having this fourth quarter that was – depressing and and watching Detroit until they you know Detroit it all over themselves push back and be like no nah, we're not we that's the thing that's happened in, in a in a similar way to what we saw with the White Sox last season where teams are like you know if we want we can take an extra base on them with the Bulls this year it's teams being like you know we're not out of this because they're going to figure out a way to let us back in. 
And then you saw like Patrick Beverly getting under the skin of of Nikola Vucevic, and and I I still am concerned that the concept of Patrick Beverly is very different from the reality of Patrick Beverly. And wanting a guy like that makes all the sense in the world. Like you, absolutely, yeah. Let's bring a guy in here who's got constant energy, seems to be a positive vibe type dude that you can bring in but also it's like and and i'm sure that some of those dudes are like that's enough like shut up i get it get out of my face with all of this stuff there's some crazy numbers from last night crazy jeff fairer friend of the show and friend of the organizations win championships podcast notes here is the list in nba history the most career games with 40 or more points, including six threes made on 70% field goal shooting. This is ever in the NBA, okay? Okay. Steph Curry's done it six times. Zach Levine's done it four times. Oh. LeBron, three. Clay three. Kyrie, three. Zach Levine had 41 on 14 of 20 field goal shooting, six of nine from three. Guess where we are in Bulls history. The number of games with at least six threes made. Zach has 27. He's got 27 games. That's pretty impressive. With at least six threes made. Guess who's second with 14? Big Ben Gordon with a torch? Great call. That's a really good call on your part. Gordon did it 14 times. Nikola Miritich has done it 10 times. Kobe White has done it 10 times. Oh. And Kirk Heinrich, six. You know, Ben Gordon would have those games where he'd just like, like completely like flip out. Yes. And he just, would just wig out. And I, I, so for some reason, I remember a lot of them happening against Michael Redd where the two of them would just be playing one-on-one like those old Jordan-Dominique Wilkins games. Somewhere Tony Gill's ears just perked up. I know he overrates Michael Red. He loves Michael it's Red. It's really ridiculous. So ridiculous. But yeah, you, he would have those games where it'd just be like, wow, like Ben Gordon is unstoppable. And then you'd be like, oh, he's completely stoppable. And <laughs> Well, he, he's not he's stopping his guy. Right. And he's not going to play any defense whatsoever. Yeah, but that's that's your Bulls. This is what they are. This is there's a terrific piece published in the Athletic by the the Athletic writer for the Raptors who did a drill down on the middle of the middle and the difference between being in the middle on the way out of the middle and in the middle and stuck in the middle with you mm-hmm. because of draft picks, because of win shares coming from players over a certain age. And sort of where you are, and the Bulls are absolutely, you know, locked and bolted into the mid mid, which is the definition of NBA hell. The crazy part for me in in watching that game last night, we've been talking like over the last few days, we've been talking about if you look at defensive efficiency, the Bulls have been one of the better teams in the NBA since the calendar turn to twenty twenty three. But if you're watching the games, like if you're watching last night's game, you go, oh. Or if you're watching the game against Toronto and saying, sure, you held them down from a point standpoint, but the amount of offensive rebounds that they got 
was disgusting. And in last night's game, you're, all, all they needed to do from halftime on would have been to defend. But they didn't. And because they didn't defend, Detroit gained confidence. And they started to push back. And there was no resistance from the Bulls' defense that stopped them from coming back. And, and had it not been for the timeout that didn't exist, how does that game end? You know how many field goal attempts Zach had the fourth quarter last night? One. One! Where, okay, this is what I mean about Billy. Get, like, draw like, up like, plays come on, man. get Zach come the on. ball. He's got, he's got, he was the hot hand. He was shooting 70% from the floor. He's got 41 points. There are no excuses to not have that guy on that night not make a field goal in the fourth quarter. And and it can't be the idea of, you know, we talk about the, the finishing aspect of it, of him deferring in those moments to DeMar. No, like you're on, on last night, Zach's the guy. He's the guy. He's done everything to prove to you that he's the guy. Efficient from three, going to the bucket, running the floor, making contested shots. Get him the ball when he's on one. If you look at the the games where God, like look look around the league from last night, Jalen Brunson was on one, and you know what they kept doing? Giving him the ball. Dame was on one a few nights ago, and he kept getting the ball. Zach is one of those type of scorers that if if he's on, like he's all he's obviously one of the top scorers in the league, but when he's on fire. You got to do a better job of feeding him, and that's a coach's responsibility. And Zach made all his free throws. He made all his free throws. He had thirty six through three. But this is what happens when your coach won't coach Demar. Right. You go into isolation ball. You've got one job, and you sit both of those guys. Demar, come here. Zach, come here. Demar, find Zach. When he's double teamed, he's going to give it up, and he's going to cut to the basket. You're going to get it to him. Find this guy. Mm-hmm. Figure this out. I love you dearly, Damar. You're a wonderful player. Tonight, we're riding this guy. Yeah. That's a coach's job. The guy who's got 41 points. Let's get him the ball more. The guy that's the, the bigger matchup problem tonight. And that's, we often talk about NFL and, and college football, and we talk about coaches making adjustments to what's happening inside of a game. It happens fast in the NBA. It happens real fast. You don't need to watch tape. You just need to watch the the game flow. And the game flow was Zach's on one tonight. It's really simple. And after the game, it sounds like he knows it. And it sounds like they they say, well, you know, I saw this. I saw this. I said, coach your team. Coach your team. Coach your team and coach the game. Like, this isn't an abstract. This is what's considering your desperation because you're desperate to get into the play in or whatever. You should be looking at games against Detroit that have a chance to go sideways as opportunities to to get a win, a, a, a win that you desperately need. So why not coach that way? And it just felt like what what we saw was Billy coaching an early December game where he's trying to figure out combinations and he's doing this and this. No, it, it's it, it, 
the Patrick Beverly rule applies here. Zach, we don't need you to pass tonight. When we get you the ball, shoot it. But when you sit a player down who's got the hot hand, and then when the player gets reinserted back into the game, and you're not specifically running actions for him to play make for you because he's had such a that that's just bad. It's just it's there's no other word to describe it. And we've been talking about Billy as an above average, above replacement level game coach. These are the moments where that's on display, where we know that he can, after the game, or maybe in real time, he can dissect it and talk about it. I want him to have a bigger impact on the game as it's going on. I want him to understand how... When they go into an isolation shell with DeMar, there are times for it. There are absolutely times for it. And those times are when the rest of your offense isn't working. Last night was not the time for it. It, it, it was the time to, to continue to move you're the ball. You're in desperation mode. And find the, the, These Zach. are all playoff games. Yes. Based on what you're saying, this, these are desperation must-have games. You can't say, well, we'll work this out another time, or, well, this, you know, they're veteran players, and, and DeMar will figure it out. They weren't figuring it out. I have an announcement to make, actually. Um, are you leaving? I Because of the blizzard tomorrow, and, okay. and don't worry, I know people are going to say it's, 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 this is not health-related. Because of the blizzard that's expected tomorrow, I just got all sorts of panicked emails from United about potential flight disruption tomorrow. I was supposed to fly out tomorrow to take Jason to our uh, to college for our, our little pre whatever it is uh, orientation day, a get to know the campus. Have day. you guys decided because of the blizzard that he's not going to go to Bucknell? <laughs> Sorry, kid, no college for you. <laughs> Trade school it is. That's it. No, be, nothing wrong with trade school. To each his own. Their, or their own. Uh, I've got to get on a plane in like two hours Go. because it is impossible to get to Harrisburg. The one thing Rod Zimmerman warned me about Bucknell. You can't get there. It's in the middle of nowhere. And you're fired. And you're fired. <laughs> All right, yeah. So, sorry. All I've, right. I've, I've got to uh, get my kid out of school and get to O'Hare. That's fine. That means and, I got more time with Dan Weirers. Yeah, you're going to have an old-fashioned Lawrence Holmes show today. So, get the bass drop ready, Mike Rankin. All right, apologies to all for my lack of professionalism, go, but uh, family first. Go be with your son and try to get out of town before all the snow comes our way. All right, peace and love. Peace and love, peace and love. That's Dan Bernstein. He is one half of the Bernstein at Home Show. My responsibility is the other half of the Bernstein at Home Show is to hold it down while my partner's got stuff to do. So that's what we're going to do. We are going to take a quick timeout. Don't worry. We are going to get back into the Bulls conversation later on in this show Cody Westerland's going to join me at 1 o'clock. When we come back, Dan Wiederer from the Combine, he talked to a lot of people specifically about Justin Fields. You will not want to miss our conversation. It is next. It's the Bernstein at Home Show here on The Score. 
Dan Weederer, on-air contributor for 670 The Score. You're going to be relying on a lot of young players, guys that have to materialize into who they thought they were. The Bears are who we thought they were. When either they drafted them or guys that they believe in that were already here, that's guys like Justin Fields. Bears beat reporter and enterprise writer for the Chicago Tribune. Matt has pounded it home from the day he took the job with the HITS principle and the acronym there and just saying repeatedly, we are going to be an effort-based football team. Dan Weederer. Get your track shoes on. With Bernstein and Holmes on 670 The Score. You better believe it, and Dan Weederer has some stuff for you as it pertains to Justin Fields. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Dan had to go. He had to go because he's trying to beat a storm, and he and young Jason Bernstein are off to Bucknell, which is in the middle of nowhere. So Dan's gone. He's not coming back until Monday. Tomorrow, Layla and I will hang out, but today is just you and I. And now we go down to the combine, our buddy Dan Wiederer, who joins us on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline, Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Dan, thanks for joining me. I love the piece in today's Tribune, considering all the people that you talk to, and I want to get to that in a moment, but but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what has been the talk of the, the combine once we saw what went on with Jalen Carter? Yeah, Lawrence, I mean, obviously it's a, a very messy and evolving situation that everyone has to get their arms fully around. The draft obviously is about seven, eight weeks away, and, and teams are going to have to do every last bit of homework to figure out what their feelings are. We all know who Jalen Carter is as a football player, how dominant he can be on a defensive line, but this is so much deeper, so much more involved, so much more complex now. And so if you're the Bears, it, it changes things for you. And Ryan Poles was very upfront the other day and saying, look, there are going to be curveballs here, free agency in the draft in the next two months that I've got to be ready for. This is obviously a, a big Kerry Wood-style curveball from 1998 here that, that was thrown into the mix this week. Yeah, it was. And, and I wonder how much it, it changes the board. And one of the things that, it, that I wanted to talk about today was the – I think we're going to find out some stuff, like from a, a flexibility standpoint – with polls and how he handles this and what it looks like as far as trade opportunities for the bears. Because obviously Dan, we're, we're looking at this and saying if the the bears were to trade down the four, then they would have whoever Arizona decided they didn't want between Jalen Carter and Will Anderson, not knowing what Carter's status is kind of changes the way that everyone's board looks. There's no question about it, right? There's absolutely no question about that. And so now you've got this this stretch here of the next, you know, month and a half, two months for everyone to try to figure out where their comfort level is with this situation. The Bears included, even before this came out this week, Lawrence, I had a lot of uh, folks that I trust say, look, like if, if you're looking for maximum upside as a football player, Jalen Carter is the guy you're going to swing at. If you're looking for a sure thing, Will Anderson is the guy that the Bears should hope to get their arms around. And then talking to Will Anderson a little bit, uh, yesterday, you can feel the fit for what they're trying to build inside Hallis Hall in terms of the passion he has for the game, the way he goes about things. If you know Matt Eberflus saying the other day that you know the way we do things isn't for everybody. Well, Will Anderson's coming from a program that Nick Saban ran, right? So he he understands what high standards are. Uh, he understands how to how to push himself, how to to be a um, you know tone setting leader. And so you, you look at that and you go, okay, well now as you you try to get your arms around this other messy situation at least you know that there's another guy there that could help you in a major way at a position of need that you would feel really good about and has far, far fewer question marks. 
the things that I've read about this draft is that it's top heavy, especially with the quarterback talent. But I've also heard that the first 50 picks outside of the quarterbacks, that that there isn't a lot of uh, space between a, a prospect that gets drafted at 10 and maybe a prospect that gets drafted at 25. What are people telling you about this draft and and how many difference makers do you think are in the first 50 picks? Yeah, so Lawrence, a lot of people believe that like day two and the very early portion of day three is where we're going to look back five years and go, wow, there was a lot of value to be had in that range. And the one team that comes up consistently in that conversation is the Detroit Lions. I think they have four picks in the top 60. Right. And so you're talking about two first rounders for them, uh, a finishing stretch to last season where they won eight of 10 on the way out the door. Now look like the team, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't wind up back in Green Bay, that's going to be the favorite to, 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 to go into the 2023 season uh, as the team that people expect to, to take the north. Uh, shameless plug there. Um, but like that's that's really interesting within the Bears division that you've got that. And just to your point, like that day two area of the draft seems like a real sweet spot. And the Bears giving up that, you know, number 32 overall pick for, for Chase Claypool leaves them with a big gap between where they have, you know, number one, obviously, and then where, where they next pick. And so that's why a trade back would be so ideal for Ryan and company at House Hall, because you hope to add picks in that range and ideally add picks, you know, in 2024, that then gives you some of that flexibility and ammunition to do some big things. Were you satisfied with what polls had to say about, the Claypool acquisition there at the combine. Um, I'm not satisfied with anything in, on the Chase Claypool situation yet, right? Like I, I, I need to get into November and get a feel for what the production looks like on game days. And we all know that you know his his abbreviated first little run in Chicago was interrupted by his own injuries, by Justin's injuries. There wasn't any opportunity to build momentum. That's a a, a really big see it to believe it scenario for me and so I I can't really be satisfied until I see game production from a guy that they invested a lot in you can check Dan out with David Hall and take the North podcast as he mentioned you can also read his work in the Tribune like today an excellent piece on Justin Fields there's so much stuff to get into here with you I first let me ask you just from putting it together what made you want to kind of survey the league about the quarterback? Well, just because, Lawrence, you know that the conversation that has been had in Chicago through the 2022 season suddenly mushroomed into a league-wide discussion as soon as the rest of the league stops playing, right? And every day you turn on some channel somewhere and Justin Fields' name is on the TV screen and they're debating you know, whether the Bears should keep him, trade him, if he's a long-term answer, you know, what are his flaws, what are his greatest strengths? And so, um, you know, I started kind of gathering on this back in January and and then obviously had an opportunity here to get with a lot more people and put some finishing touches on some stuff. But there's just a a fascination, I think, league-wide on who Justin is now, who who he can potentially become, and what it means for the overall direction of the Chicago Bears. And I'd say that my biggest takeaway, Lawrence, that's really notable to me is that there's, there's really nothing that the Bears believe in with Justin that the rest of the league doesn't see. And vice versa, there's nothing that the league points out as, as flaws or areas of concern that the Bears don't readily own, acknowledge, and that Justin himself doesn't readily own and acknowledge. And so it, you see this kind of consensus on who he is now and who he can become. And that's kind of cool because it just tells you that, that you don't have any sort of blind spots inside the building at Hallis Hall or 
biases that that kind of cloud your view of things. And so I think it was really neat to, to see that a lot of the league's view of Justin matches up with exactly how they see him inside the building. What were the words that people in front offices and coaches that you talked to used to describe Justin Fields? Well, look, I mean, like <laughs> electric, you know, terrifying, like the, 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 the praise that you hear is, man, like you don't want to play him. You don't want to prepare for him. It's a real headache trying to figure out how you're going to account for just how explosive he can be in one moment. You know, you've got third and long, and you're like, all right, we're getting the ball back here. And the next thing you know, Justin's in the end zone dancing, right? And, like, people see that, and they're like, man, this is a different animal here. At the same time, you hear from, from folks who have studied him, played against him, prepared for him, and said, look, life gets a lot more difficult for him if you're able to devise something where he's inside the pocket. And we saw that down the stretch of the season. Like, the, you know, obviously there was weather involved on Christmas Eve against the Bills, but I think he had, like, you know, 12 yards rushing and 119 yards passing. They shut him down the next week. The Bears go to Detroit, and Justin has one of his worst performances of the season. And so you started to get answers in the league. I'm like, okay, here's how we can play this chess game against the Bears and Justin Fields. And now it's the Bears' move next and Justin's move next to respond to that. And some of that falls directly on the shoulders of not only your quarterback, but now your general manager to be like, okay, we see now how teams are going to shut us down. Now we've got to go find answers. We've got to find help we got to find support for Justin that, that allows him to take that next big leap, right? Like, we're, we're in a state here in 2023 where it has to be a big leap in Justin's development for them to get to this point next year and go, yep, we're ready to, to start thinking about a, a long-term nine-figure extension. How important was that game in Foxborough in changing the perception even inside of Hallis Hall of what the Bears had in their quarterback? I think – what it was, Lawrence, is it was an opportunity for them to kind of pump a fist and take a deep breath, right? And feel like, okay, you know, we all know how painful those first five, six weeks of the season were and just how difficult it was for them to get anything going offensively. And so we talked about it, that mini buy, you know, it's been uh, overemphasized at times, but there was significance in there in their ability to unlock things for Justin that allowed him, in Luke Getze's words, to, to be more confident, to play with more freedom to just sort of get that ball rolling in the right direction. And like I say, it was like, you know, okay, you got that fist pump, you got that exhale, and it's like, okay, let's get back to work now in trying to unlock the other things that you're going to need to do to be a high-level offense and a high-level quarterback. But, it, you know, you know what that stretch that followed that game in Foxborough was. It was the, the adrenaline rush, you know, for 21 days that just felt like, okay, there is something real here, and now we've got to figure out how to elevate it to the next level. Yeah, and, and, and that becomes uh, the, the – the problem for Luke Getze and obviously for Justin Fields to get on the same page and, and grow, and of course Ryan Poles in trying to get him the things that he needs. To to go back, and you should read the piece, by the way, today in the Chicago Tribune, Dan Wiederer does an exhaustive talk with people around the NFL talking about Justin Fields, what he is and what he can be. From the press conference that Poles had a, a couple days ago down there, I was a little bit surprised to tell you the truth how open he was. And, and maybe that's just you know, PTSD from dealing with Ryan Pace. I felt like Poles was pretty open with the idea of, of obviously we're looking at the getting value from that number one pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I, I think when you talk to people down here and just kind of observe it yourself, like Ryan Poles is operating with a – a heightened sense of comfort and confidence in his role right now. Like he, he knows what this offseason is. 
and how landmark it could be for the Chicago Bears if he plays his card rights and makes the right moves. And so he just like there's just a command to to where he's at and what he wants to do. Now, look, so much of this hinges on what other teams want. And right now there doesn't feel like there's this this growing momentum. And you know how this can change over the next month and a half that that, that there are these guys at the top of the board that say the, the Texans or the Colts or even the Panthers down at nine are ready to just, you know, get out the wallet and pay whatever you're asking them to go get. And so that's something that Ryan just, he doesn't have control over. Like he's got to keep a, his fingers on the pulse of that, but he understands that it's not fully in his control. And so, you know, you, you have best case scenarios and you have dreams, and then you have to realize that some of those things may not come to fruition and it's out of your control. So you got to be ready with contingency plans and, and alternate paths to go down so that you do walk into OTAs in May and go, okay, we maximized everything that we had at our disposal for this, again, this, this landmark offseason. Now that you're around all of the NFL people, Dan, what are they saying about the quarterback class? And is there significant enough buzz about the, the four quarterbacks at the top of it that the Bears could find themselves in a great position to trade even with the Jalen Carter news? I think there's some, I guess I'll call it frustration league-wide that Bryce Young isn't three inches taller and 30 pounds heavier. Yep. Like, I think that pe- people believe that who he is as a quarterback is absolutely every single thing you want from that position. And it's like, man, we just can't get past the idea that this guy's going to have to withstand 17 games for a long period of time in the NFL, taking a beating, right? Being basically, you know, my size, maybe a little shorter. <laughs> and I know I wouldn't withstand that beating very much, but like you hear the, the, the assessments of his game and how, widely lauded his composure is and how chill he is inside the pocket. And like, if you could take the way Bryce Young sees the field and processes and reacts and makes right decisions and put that in Justin Fields, body or take, you know, Justin Fields electric speed and, and his strength and, and, and pair it with Bryce Young's processing speed, you'd have a hall of famer. <laughs> and so that, like, I go back to it, it's like the frustration where, where the, especially these quarterback needy teams are like, man, it's just really hard to get past the size. And so now you have to say, okay, how does he stack up against Levis and Stroud and, and Anthony Richardson and, and figure out how comfortable we are letting the board come to us versus us going to the board? What are the, the things that you want to find out before you leave Indy? Look, I, I, it's been a really good week so far, and there's a juice down here. And I, I've said this a, a couple times this week that the Combine, Lawrence, is like, it's like Las Vegas. You can do it 30 different ways, and all 30 different ways are right. You know, and so like you just have to come down here with a feeling like, okay, here's four main boxes I want to check and then like just be open to being surprised at an interaction, at a conversation, like finding people around. I think that the next step for us is just kind of getting a better feel for what the Bears might do with their next step, which is in free agency, which is the negotiating window now, March 13th, that's just around the corner here. What are they going to do? And I think there's a sense kind of when you when you feel out some people that are going to have free agents in this flea market in a couple of weeks that, that Ryan is stressing his need again, to be disciplined that, that, that look like he wants to make a splash in free agency, but he doesn't want to come out on day one and overspend just so that there are headlines in the Chicago Tribune and that there are six hours of, of, you know, programmable talk on WSCR. Like he knows that, that, that there may be frustration in that first wave where people are going to be like, all they've done is signed a, you know, a backup linebacker. And it's like, okay, well, we also have to be, very patient and understand that we're trying to build a sustainable winning program for five and six years down the road. And that doesn't always equate to the things that are going to excite 
media and fans in that first wave of free agency. So I guess that's just my way of saying, like, we're all going to have to pump the brakes March 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th if the splash isn't as big as a lot of people wanted because Ryan knows that there's, there's bigger uh, puzzles to put together here. Yeah, and, and that the free agency class, I think that you can find quality players, but this isn't one of those you're waiting at someone's doorstep at midnight to, to sign them to a deal. No, it's not a great free agency class. And so um, that's fine, right? Like you just play the board, you know, and then you have to figure out, okay, like we can, nobody said we've got to use all these resources in, in 2023. We can save some of this for 2024. We can save this for some guys that we hope make the next step in their emergence and then hopefully merit being paid because that's the, the long-term way to build a sustainable winning, winning team in the NFL is to make sure that you draft, develop, and then get guys to a second contract. One of the most frustrating things that Bears fans have had to live with is, you know, not having first round picks in certain years and then getting first round picks that don't get signed to a second contract, you know? And so that's why we are where we are right now with a 14 loss team. That's got, you know, 150 holes that it's got to plug and now has to, to, to maximize what it has at its disposal here in the next, you know, two months. Dan, I appreciate you jumping on. The piece is fantastic in the Tribune. You need to check it out. Dan Weeder were talking to the entire NFL about Justin Fields and getting some incredible feedback. So go to the Chicago Tribune, pick up a paper, go to chicagosports.com and check it out. And, and Dan, I appreciate you jumping on with me. Yeah, no problem. Always good chatting. That is Dan Weederer. He of the Take the North podcast that you can hear. He's one of our experts and obviously of the Chicago Tribune, which is where you can find the piece on Justin Fields. If you're just tuning in, hi, hi, I'm Lawrence. This is the Bernstein at Home Show. Dan was here, but Dan has orientation with his son, Jason, at Bucknell, and it is very difficult to get there. He was going to be out, scheduled out tomorrow, but obviously there's a storm coming, so he changed his flight and left after the first segment. So I got you until 2 o'clock. We're going to do some fun stuff. Cody Westerland's going to be in studio We're going to talk about the Bulls coming up at 11. Coming up next, the NFLPA did a survey about teams from a bunch of different perspectives. It'll be interesting to see where the Bears rank in some of those categories. We will share that with you next. You're listening to the Bernstein at Home show here on The Score. Bernstein at Homes, middays 10 to 2. On Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. You just made the list. That's right, Chris Jericho. There is a list that is available. The NFLPA put out team report cards yesterday. Here's what they said. One of our core jobs as a union is to improve the overall working conditions for our players, which includes the daily experience of players at a team facility away from the lights and cameras. 1,300 of our players provided information to share with one another about their current club to not only help them make important career decisions, but also help raise standards across the league. Our goals were to highlight positive clubs, identify areas that could use improvement, and highlight the best practices and standards. To learn more about the background of this initiative, read a note from President J.C. Treder. Here are the categories that they came up with for this. And they graded it on an A to F scale, A being exceptional, F being failing. Treatment of families, nutrition, weight room, 
strength staff, training room, training staff, locker room. 32 teams in the NFL. In your mind's eye, just you, you can you don't have to raise your hand or call in. Just where do you think the Bears ranked overall out of the 32 teams? Knowing what those categories are, there's wait, there's another category too. Uh, travel is the final category here. So where do you think the Bears ranked? Are they a bottom half team? Are they a top half team? Are they a top ten team? All right, I won't leave you in suspense too long. They ranked 13th out of the 32 teams. So on this, you could actually just like click on the team and see where they're at and see what people say. This is the overview for your Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears ranked 13th overall in the team survey. The club completed a major renovation to their practice facilities less than five years ago, and players seem happy with the facility. The complaints expressed by players' respondents focus more on treatment of the players and their families. Also, both the quality of the food and the timing of meals were flagged as issues. While players' opinions of the coaching staff in Chicago were generally positive, one major problem identified was the overall tempo and intensity of off-season workouts, which was reflected in the actual violation and punishment last season. Bears' ownership ranks 25th when respondents were asked if they believe ownership is willing to spend money to upgrade their facilities, 76% despite being in a relatively new facility. Now, would you like to know the individual grades for your Chicago Bears? Are you laughing at me, Mike Rankin? What do you mean? You're like, you're laughing at me? You're funny. Thanks. You're a funny I, guy. I, I, I'm funny like a clown, huh? All right. I amuse you. Yeah, you that, amuse me. Yes. All right. Uh, here, here are the categories. Category, treatment of families. The Bears players received a C. The Bears players put a grade of C minus, which ranks 22nd out of 32. Food, service, and nutrition. This was the lowest grade that the Bears players had in the survey. A D plus. That's not good for food, food service, and nutrition. Weight room got an A. Strength coaches got an A minus. How about this? The training room at Hallis Hall got an A plus. Training staff got an A minus. The locker room got an A. Travel got a C minus. Okay. Want to take a look around the division? See what they got Ben got going on? Let's go to Detroit. Detroit, treatment of families, B. Food service and nutrition, D minus. What is going on with food service in the NFC North? Weight room, B plus. Strength coaches, A minus. Training room, D plus for Detroit. Training staff got a B plus. Locker room got a B. Team travel got an A. All right. Let's look at the Green Bay Packers. These are high marks for the Packers. Treatment of families, B+. Food, service, and nutrition, finally an A. 
Weight room A, strength coaches A, training room B minus, training staff A minus, locker room B, team travel A. And finally, the Vikings, and there's a tie-in here, which I'll get to in a second. Treatment of families A, food service nutrition A minus, weight room A, strength coaches A plus, training room A plus, training staff A plus, Locker room, A+, plus, team travel, A. Ray, who used to be the president of the Vikings? Kevin Warren. Mm-hmm. And I bet that when this survey hit his desk this morning, I imagine he has a desk at Hallis Hall, even though he's officially not on the job yet. I imagine when this survey hit his desk this morning, He had some questions for people. And I imagine that the Vikings were the number one franchise, according to players in the survey. I imagine that Kevin Warren will um, take steps towards making all of the areas where the Bears as an organization need improvement to improve. Now, if you're saying, what... How big a deal is it for a team president? Like, what type of impact can they have on a franchise? This is where. And then the question becomes, do happier players equal winning players? I don't know, but I would rather have them happy than not happy. But that's what the NFLPA survey said. The survey said that the Vikings are a model franchise now when it comes to their players being happy. The Lions and the Bears got to get their nutrition stuff down. What are they serving up there? They got to do a better job. Maybe they need more vegan options. They clearly need more vegan options because the quarterback's vegan. So they got to come up with something. We are going to talk about the Bulls. Cody Westerland will be here. What the hell happened last night? And what's the impact of Patrick Beverly through four games? Cody's going to help us with all of that next here on The Score.